Thank you for downloading this sermon from Trinity Presbyterian Church in Spartanburg, South Carolina. For more information about Trinity, visit our website at www.trinityspartanburg.com. Let's turn to Luke chapter 7, that's verse 18. Let's stand for the reading of God's Word. Luke 7 at verse 18. This is the Word of the Lord. The disciples of John reported to him about all these things. Summoning two of his disciples, John sent them to the Lord, saying, Are you the expected one, or do we look for someone else? When the men came to him, they said, John the Baptist has sent us to you to ask, Are you the expected one, or do we look for someone else? At that very time, he cured many people of diseases and afflictions and evil spirits, and he gave sight to many who were blind. And he answered and said to them, Go and report to John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear. The dead are raised up, the poor have the gospel preached to them. Blessed is he who does not take offense at me. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We ask that you would teach us by your spirit. We thank you that you have not uh, that you have not left us to our own devices, that you have not just left us to our own minds, but that you have given us truth in your word. And so we pray as we come to this passage that you would be at work in all of us here. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Be seated. So everybody serves something, right? Everybody serves someone or something, right? Everybody has rituals, everybody has objects of worship, everybody is religious, everybody, every single person is religious. Some are devoted to idols, right? Some are devoted to uh, the false gods of their imagination, some are devoted to their pleasures, some are devoted to sports, some are devoted to money, some are devoted to narcissism, some to political power, right? Some are devoted to gender bending, right? Some are devoted to Mother Earth. And some are devoted to the, the life of the mind. Some are devoted to the harsh treatment of the body, whether that would be sports or... Um, What's that? Cross-training. That's just not popular anymore. Um, some are devoted to uh, asceticism, the harsh treatment of the body that way by um, withholding food. Some are devoted to the Grateful Dead, even still. You know? Some are devoted to heroin. And it's a cruel master. Some are devoted to veganism, some to scientism. Some are devoted to the, the writings of Anne Rand or Joseph Smith. And some are devoted to Jesus. Some are devoted to the Son of God, Jesus Christ. As Bob Dylan put it, you've got to have 
you got to serve somebody, right? Is that what he said? You're, you're going to have to serve somebody. That's how he said it. It may be the devil or it may be the Lord, but you, you're going to have to serve somebody. And it's inevitably true. You, you will serve something or somebody. Everybody is serving something or somebody. But blessed is he who does not take offense at me, said Jesus. That's the last verse from this. Blessed is he who does not take offense at me. That's the, the thrust of this sermon. We'll focus on that verse. Everybody serves somebody or something, but Jesus said, blessed is he who does not take offense at me. When someone who has been devoted to money, just to pick one thing, is, is confronted with the teachings of Jesus Christ, with the teachings of the Son of God, the teaching of Scripture, and he reads the story about Jesus interacting with the rich young ruler, who he tells, right, what does he tell him? He says, sell all your possessions and give your, um, give your money to the poor. So, so when somebody is confronted with that teaching or Jesus' statement that it's easier for the, the, the camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of heaven, there should be some conflict in that man's soul, right? If he's listening, if he's willing to give Jesus the time of day. There should be a moment of crisis. There's a conflict of visions there, isn't there? Very intense conflict of visions. There is the old devotion or the way of Jesus. There is offense at Jesus or submission to Jesus. There's a rejection of Jesus or an accepting of Jesus. One or the other. And Jesus says to all those who are in this conflict, blessed is he who does not take offense at me. John the Baptist in prison is, is in prison at this point, uh, due to, really due to Herod's lack of courage. And in the passage we're looking at today, we learn that while John was in prison, he sent some, uh, two of his disciples to speak with Jesus, to ask him a question. And the question puzzles us because it seems to imply that, that John was questioning whether Jesus was the Messiah. Right? It seems to be like, why would John want to know the answer to this question? Doesn't he know it? Uh, they are sent by John to ask this question. Are you the expected one or do we look for someone else? Now, what is going on here? How can John the Baptist, the man who announced to the world, behold the Lamb of God? Right? The one who, who kicked in the womb right, in Jesus' presence, announcing that this was Jesus. The one who knew from his parents, who heard it from the angel Gabriel, who stands in the presence of God, that he was to be the forerunner of the Lord, of the Messiah. How can John the Baptist be asking such a question? Right? Here's, here's why I think he has his disciples ask that particular question. He knew he was likely to die. Right? He's in prison. He's languishing there and he knows he's likely to die. And to spend, or to spend the rest of his, his life in prison. And he knew that it was likely that there existed some rivalry, some jealousy between the men who followed him and the men who were following Jesus, right? You'll remember that in the Gospel of Matthew, the, the disciples of John asked questions of the disciples of Jesus. 
right? They're these two, two different groups of disciples. Why do we and the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? There's clearly some like tension between disciples of John and disciples of Jesus. And that's a problem for John. John doesn't want followers. John is a forerunner to the one that they should follow, right? So the, the disciples of John, the men who loved John, were devoted to him, and they were beginning to take offense at Jesus and his disciples. John observes this, and John, who clearly knew who Jesus was, was determined to point them in the direction of Jesus and away from himself. Right? You'll remember John the Baptist's statement, right? He must increase and I must decrease. John's whole calling was to turn many to, of the sons of Israel back to the Lord their God. That's from Luke 1. So here is John doing just that. As he is in prison, his thoughts go to his own disciples and he sends them to ask this question, not for his own sake, but for their sake, right? He wants them to receive the answer from Jesus so that they might know and believe everything John has been saying about Jesus. They have their own crisis. They have their own conflict of visions and they have to come to terms with the decrease of the man they've been following and the increase of the one that John himself has been pointing toward. Ironically, it would have been possible for them to reject Jesus because of their devotion to John. That's mind-boggling, right? John knows this, and his mind is boggled by it, right? John understands human nature. He understands the strength of brotherly love. And John knows that it's, you know, he, he knows that it's possible for a Carolina graduate to despise and mistreat a person who who graduated from Clemson. He knows that that's possible, that there is a depraved human nature in people. But blessed is the one who does not take offense at Clemson grads. Right? John realizes, I mean, this is the dilemma that John is working out. John realizes he is at the point in his ministry where he is diminishing quite quickly and he has now one last group of men to turn toward the Lord, his own disciples. He sends them to Jesus with this question, not because he lacks faith or is experiencing the dark night of the soul or some sort of doubt as he languishes in prison, but rather because he loves his brothers and he's anxious that they would believe what he believes, right? He loves those who have walked with him during his ministry those amazing years of ministry, and he wants them now to be devoted to Jesus Christ, to switch their allegiance in a sense, right? To get through the crisis, to get through this conflict of visions, and not after his departure to take offense at Jesus and his popularity. I'm further convinced that this is the proper interpretation because of the praise that John or that Jesus gives to John the Baptist in the words that immediately follow our passage. He says in verse 28, among those born of women, there is no one greater than John. Right? If he was doubting, Jesus would likely not have heaped such words of praise on him. Right? Because if he were doubting, he would be taking offense at Jesus. That's what he would be doing. He would be breaking this, this very uh, statement that Jesus is saying here and he would rightly be receiving the opposite of blessings. 
How does Jesus answer their question? Are you the expected one, the one prophesied about in the Old Testament, or do we look for someone else? Well, it seems he answers them with some actions. They, they ask the question, and Scripture says, at that very time he cured many people of diseases and afflictions and evil spirits, and he gave sight to many who were blind. So they ask, they ask if he's the expected one, and he answers by performing miracles and doing works, bearing fruit, right? He, he essentially says to them, well, what do you see me doing? I mean, open your eyes. What do you see is going on here, right? And he says to them, go and report to John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, and the poor have the gospel preached to them. Am I the expected one? What do you see happening here? Are your eyes open? Am I the expected one? Is scripture being fulfilled here? Right? Am I the expected one? Can it, could a sinful man do any of the things that I am doing? So Jesus is from God and is doing the works his Father has given him to do, and they testify about him, right? For the works which the Father has given me to, to accomplish, the very works that I do testify about me that the Father has sent me. But there were many during that time, during the time when Jesus was on earth, that observed these works, saw these magnificent works, saw these miracles, and yet still took offense at Jesus. Still they were offended. They observed miracles and would not submit. There's a story in, in the Gospel of John that very clearly makes this point. In um, John chapter 9. As he passed by, he saw a man blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that we should be born blind? Jesus answered, it was neither that this man sinned nor his parents, but it was that the works of God might be displayed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me as long as it is day. Night is coming when, we, when no one can work. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. When he had said this, he spat on the ground and made clay out of the spittle and applied the clay to his eyes and said to him, go wash in the pool of Siloam which is translated sent. So he went away and washed and came back seeing. Therefore the neighbors and those who previously saw him as a beggar were saying, is not this the one who used to sit and beg? Others were saying, this is he. Still others were saying, no, but he is like him. And he kept saying, I am the one. So they were saying to him, how then were your eyes open? And he answered, the man who is called Jesus made clay and anointed my eyes and said to me, go to Siloam and wash. So I went away and washed and I received sight. And they said to him, where is he? And he said, I do not know. And they brought to the Pharisees the man who was formerly blind. Now it was the Sabbath on the day when Jesus made the clay and opened his eyes. Then the Pharisees also were asking him how he received his sight. And he said to them, he applied clay to my eyes and I washed and I see. Therefore, some of the Pharisees were saying, this man is not from God because he does not keep the Sabbath. Right? The Pharisees are, are, are just so obnoxious in their blindness. Right? They're so obnoxious in what they refuse to see. And they're, and they're clinging to, to the unimportant. But others were saying, how can a man who is a sinner perform such signs? And there was a division among them. So they said to the blind man again, 
what did you say about him since he opened your eyes? And he said, he is a prophet. The Jews then did not believe it of him that he had been born blind and had received sight until they called the parents of the one who had received sight and questioning them, saying, is this your son who you say was born blind? Then how does he now see? And his parents answered them and said, we know that this is our son and that he was born blind, but now how he sees, we do not know, or who opened his eyes, we do not know. Ask him, he's of age, he will speak for himself. His parents said this because they were afraid of the Jews, for the Jews had already agreed that if anyone confessed him to be Christ, he was to be put out of the synagogue. For this reason, his parents said, he is of age, ask him. So a second time they called the man who had been blind and said to him, give glory to God. Give glory to God, right? It's almost said cynically. Give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner. He then said, whether he is a sinner, I, I do not know. One thing I do know, that though I was blind, now I see. So they said to him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? And he answered them, I told you already, and you did not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? You do not want to become his disciples too, do you? Which is the perfect thing to say. They reviled him and said, You are his disciple, but we are disciples of Moses. We know that God has spoken to Moses, but as for this man, we do not know where he is from. And the man answered and said to them, Well, here's an amazing thing. <laughs> here's an amazing thing that you do not know where he is from, and yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not hear sinners, but if anyone is God-fearing and does his will, he hears him. Since the beginning of time, it has never been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a person born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. And they answered him, you were born entirely in sins, and are you teaching us? So they put him out. Jesus heard that they had put him out and finding him, he said, do you believe in the Son of Man? How sweet is that? And he answered, who is he, Lord, that I may believe in him? And Jesus said to him, you have both seen him and he is the one who is talking with you. And he said, Lord, I believed. And it says he worshiped him. Pharisees will not submit to Jesus Christ. We see their hardness of heart in that passage. They will not submit to Jesus Christ. They refuse both to accept what he does and to accept the truth of what he says. They truly are cursed. They are not blessed. They have taken offense, and so cursed are those who take offense at the Lord Jesus Christ. Now today, there are those around you, right, who have seen the power of God in you in the strength of your faith, in the integrity of your character, right? They've seen Christ in you. And, and the longing, they've seen the longing you have for and the pursuit of Jesus that you have. And, and they have read the scriptures or heard somewhere, sometime about what Jesus has said. And their response has been one of offense. They take offense. 
They have looked at you and observed your behavior, behavior just as John's disciples observed the works of Jesus. And some have taken offense and some perhaps have bowed their knees to Jesus. Peter puts it this way, keep your behavior excellent among the Gentiles so that in the thing in which they slander you as evildoers, they may, because of your good deeds as they observe them, glorify God in the day of his visitation. They have been They have seen your love, they've seen your devotion to Christ, your repentance and your grief over your sins against him, your differences, the kind of love you have for your your wife, your, your unwillingness to gossip, your unwillingness to cheat, your unwillingness to boast in yourself. They've seen all of this, right? Have they? Have they seen that? Have they seen that godliness? And often, if they see that, their response is what? Oh, you're so godly. No. No, it's, you stink. You offend me. You are disgusting. I want nothing to do with your your ways. Others have come face to face with the works of Jesus and with even just a few of the teachings of his word. And choosing To love their sin more than they love their creator, they take offense at their creator. They hate him and make demands, you know, they they hate him for, for making demands on their attention. They hate him for asking for a kind of devotion that demands the taking up of a cross. The hating of one's own father, mother, wife, children, brother, sister, and yes, even his own life. They hate him for his jealousy and his not allowing competitors. Why, you know, why, God, can't I have a little bit of Buddha and a little bit of you? They hate him for, for not allowing religious polygamy, Jesus, and a little bit of this. They hate him because he calls everyone who comes to him to die and then live their life glorifying him. They love that he said, he who is without sin, let him be the first to throw a stone at her. But they hate that he also told that woman caught in adultery, go and sin no more. They love a portion of what Jesus said, but they take offense at the things that Jesus said that attack the gods they are devoted to, right? Here's the matter in a nutshell, men don't like to be called sinners. Those who accept this truth taught by the mouth of Jesus while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Those who, that accept that we are sinners justly deserving the wrath of God and are, are the only ones, we are the only ones who will not take offense at what Jesus said. It's having that, that perspective on yourself. It really is. Sinners. Ryle put it this way, to hear that we are all lost and guilty sinners and cannot save ourselves, to hear that we must give up our own righteousness and trust in one who is crucified between two thieves, to hear that we must be content to enter heaven side by side with publicans and whores and to owe all our salvation to free grace. That is always offensive to the natural man. Always offensive. Our proud hearts do not like it. We are offended. We are offended. Now let me put it this way. 
We don't like distinctions, right? We don't like separation. We don't like estrangement. We don't like distinctions. We have tried to make a blended soup of everything from sexuality to wealth to religion, and that is, that is the way that we approach Jesus too. We will take Jesus on our terms insofar as he does not offend our sensibilities, conflict with our desires and dreams, and we'll blend him together with our natural desires and thoughts. And so we'll have a half Jesus who affirms us. But let me tell you, that is not to have Jesus at all. It's not to have Jesus. Jesus is not Savior without being Lord, right? Remember, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? The goal is not to fit Jesus into a paradigm of what is fair and not fair, what is right and less than right, what is kind and and unkind. The goal is to hang on every word that proceeds from his mouth and bow before him as Lord, the Lord who dispenses his grace as he desires on his terms without any coercion. To love and trust everything he says and does and hate and distrust everything we say and do from our own sinful nature. You cannot have yourself and have Jesus. If you retain yourself, you will stumble over Jesus. He will scandalize you. You will be offended. And in due time, you will find yourself back to your old religion. Right? Money, Mother Earth veganism, entertainment, heroin. This is nothing less than conversion. Those who are not converted will always try to blend Jesus up with their sinful nature. They'll be content to live a double life. They'll cut their Bibles up like Jefferson did. The the converted, though, will, will not take offense at Jesus. They will devote themselves to his word, the Holy Spirit, will be conforming them to what Jesus said. They will grow in holiness, and through their lives, they will undergo sanctification, without which no man will see God. They will no longer enjoy their sins, but will weep bitterly, as Peter did when they commit them. This is the man who has been converted, and Jesus has taken his throne in his heart. He's Lord. He's a good He's a gracious, saving, protecting, sovereign Lord whose every command is like honey is to the mouth, sweet and strengthening. The unconverted man finds Jesus, on the other hand, entirely offensive. He may theoretically like many of the things that Jesus said, but he will never allow Jesus to have any place of authority in his life. He has reserved that place or that space in his life for science books and for lusts, right? And for intellectual pride and for all the best, shiniest things of the world and her cultures. And when, when they come to a head, right? When those, those things come to a head, Jesus and this world, as they inevitably do because you cannot serve both God and mammon, the offense is always toward Jesus, not your lusts and your pride. And Jesus calmly and coolly 
and lovingly says, blessed is he who does not take offense at me. Happy is the man who does not take offense at me. It's so easy to take offense at Jesus. Some, of the, some are offended by Jesus because he taught the law of God, right? Saying specific things about sexuality, marriage, money, love, the sinfulness of man. Some are offended by Jesus because they perceive him to be weak. They deem it pathetic to die as Jesus died, being insulted and remaining silent. How weak, how unmanly. Right? Some are offended at Jesus because he demands so much from his followers, a life devoted to him, a life devoted not just to him, but a life devoted to suffering for him. Why devote myself to Jesus when I can devote myself to Buddha and keep getting high. Some think that spiritual things are for the weak and that earthly things are all that matter. Some just want their good things now. And they're very content to be short-sighted, not thinking they will stand before God one day when they die, facing his verdict. Calvin writes, what hinders people from coming to Christ? Or what drives them to revolt from Christ? It is because he appears with his cross, disfigured and despised and exposed to the reproaches of the world because he calls us to share in his afflictions, because his glory and majesty being spiritual are despised by the world. In a word, because his doctrine is totally at variance with our senses. Again, it is because through the stratagems of Satan, many disturbances arise with the view of slandering and rendering hateful the name of Christ and the gospel. And because everyone, as if on purpose, rears up a mass of offenses being instigated by not less malignity than zeal to withdraw from Christ. When you suffer, are you offended at Jesus? Are you mad at God? When you, when you may not go after the things that your friends are going after because your parents are, like, protective. Are you mad at God? Are you offended at Jesus? That your parents would be faithful to Jesus? If so, you've got it all backwards, and you will find that when one day God rewards you for your faith in Jesus Christ, you'll find that out one day. And then you will be astonished by the things that offended you. You will be astonished that you did not take every opportunity to glorify God in this life. Right? You will be sad on that day that took, taking offense at Jesus led you to have such a weak faith. Right? This, this faith that bounced between things. And you'll be sad. You'll be sad about that. But don't let that be the case, brothers and sisters. Live for Christ. Live for Jesus Christ. Do not live for immediate gratification. Do not live for your senses. Have a sense of the eternal. Have a sense of the eternal and, and rejoice in your knowledge of God, remembering that you will live forever. And you will forever praise God that your life was not the best part of your eternity. We'll forever praise God for that.
Rest in Christ. Rejoice in your faith. Love him. Love him. Blessed is he who does not take offense at me. Examine yourself. Examine yourself. Where is Jesus offending you? And then trust that he's right and you're wrong. And get to work. Right? Get to work putting to death sins. Mortifying your sins.